Welcome to Dumb Love. I'm Sally Brooks. And I'm Jed O'Neill Smith. And this is a podcast about all the dumb things that people will do for love. So welcome to episode 62. 62. That's I like it. I like that you're, you're singing now. Sing. Yeah. Not well. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's your quarantine hobby. I am the worst singer in the world. I am. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's beautiful. <laughs> do you uh, like? <laughs> I think we should just do you know how like uh TV shows will do a musical number like that will be like one episode maybe we should do a musical episode where we just sing everything and we do stories through singing why haven't we already done this Sally this is dumb this dumb. is dumb and I love it <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we already have. We could have like you know guests, like have Doctor Do Fuck. She's dooting and fucking, dooting and fucking all day. I want to be like in my my contributions will be all of the like yeah. Wow! <laughs> Remember, like on Boogie Nights, when uh, Mark Wahlberg and John C. Riley started a band, and they were like, "Feel, feel, feel, feel my heat." That's gonna be me. Dumb, <laughs> <laughs> dumb, dumb, dumb love. Wow! <laughs> we have such timing. We really do. I can't believe we haven't done a musical yet. All right. Should we get into some quickies? Yes. Okay. We should. Quickies. 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 Um, all right, we're done singing, right? Yes. <laughs> I, my voice can't handle it. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't think our listeners ears can, can handle either. my voice. <laughs> or my. Uh, Jen. Sally. So you use Google Maps, right? Yeah, I thought I was using Google Maps for the longest time, and it turns out I'm just using Apple Maps or whatever the fuck map that is on the phone. And um, a car full of comedians made fun of me mercilessly, 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 uh, mercilessly for using the app on my phone for maps. Like I'm such an old dumb lady. (laughs) <laughs> you and Ben, seriously. Does he use that too? Had to be like, you have to download Google Maps. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know this it's was so a thing. <laughs> Apple Maps is crap. Uh, yeah, you got uh, it. Well, you know, okay, so you know that Google has, I don't know if you know this now, I thought like, oh, well, you're, of course you do, but Google has like street view, you can look in at any kind of, you know, go down to the street level and look at any street or a house or whatever. Yeah. I've seen that before. Okay. So since Google launched that in 2005, it's caught some really crazy images. Like now that people are aware, they see the Google cars roaming around. There are often these kind of like staged and hilarious photos and sometimes kind of sweet. Like there was a guy who 
the town knew when Google, the Google car was coming by and he actually used it as like an opportunity to hold up a sign to ask his girlfriend to marry him. Oh, which is really sweet. And then was like, hey, let's look at our town. And then she saw the sign and that's very sweet. Um, But sometimes, Jen, they capture things that people don't mean to be seen. There was one where (laughs) a lot of butts. Uh, There was one where the streetcar just like happened to be going by as a woman was like wheeling out her trash bin and she got surprised and it tipped over and then she fell inside of it. Oh my God. Of like her feet sticking out of her big wheel (gasps) trash bin. That is so funny. Yeah. And then there's one where a woman found her husband smoking again after he had promised to give it up. Holy shit. Yeah. So she was like checking out their house on Google Maps and there was her husband standing outside just like puffing on a cigarette. And she actually said, she said, he did sleep on the couch that night, but he took it all in good spirits. And we joke about it now at family parties. Oh my God. Yeah. And so there's lots of, there's actually lots of times like where there's been lots of nudity captured, as well as like people nose picking and general hijinks. You can Google Google Maps. <laughs> like Google, like people caught on Google Street Image and you'll see lots of funny pictures. I had never heard of this. This is awesome. I had not either. I had just spent all morning looking at different pictures on Google Maps. There's like the things that are captured, is, it's just kind of crazy. So, but there was one for one couple, it didn't turn out so well. So <gasps> there was a man in Lima, Peru who was using the Street View tool to decide on a tourist destination to take his wife on for vacation. And he stumbled upon a picture of a woman that he recognized. It was his wife. She was sitting on this row of benches while he was looking at this place called the Bridge of Size in Barranco, Peru. And although her face was blurred because they always blur out people's faces, he knew her from her outfit And unfortunately, laying with his head on her lap is a man who she's like stroking his his hair, and Uh, it is definitely not her husband. uh, Oh, yeah. So, although the photo had been taken in 2013, and this was in just this year, he confronted his wife about the affair, and she admitted it, and then the couple ended up divorced. Oh shit! I mean, yeah. Yeah, that usually happens when there's cheating involved. Dang, Google Maps. You don't even know the damage that you do. (sighs) Google Maps. So anyway, so maybe maybe you're right not to use it, Jen. (laughs) Yeah, see, guys? Maybe I'm not an old lady that doesn't know technology. (laughs) Maybe I'm ahead of the game. Privacy. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) So that's my quickie. Love it. Okay, so my quickie for this week is an article for Yahoo.com uh, written. Yahoo! Woohoo! See, we can't stop singing <laughs> by Dylan Thompson. And this article was sent to me by my dear friend, Milani. Hello, Milani. Milani! Uh, so she sent it to me, and I was like, oh, cool, cool. I'll definitely use this for dumb love. And then she was like, well, don't forget to tell the story about you and Zach. And then I was like, oh, yeah, I totally forgot. So I'm going to tell oh. you this story, and then I'm going to tell the story uh, that why this is hits home for Zach and I. Um, okay. Okay. So the title of this article is called Woman Calls Out Husband Over Shocking Life Decision. She had to tell him (laughs) her honest feelings. Uh, So this all took place over Reddit. A 24-year-old using the name Throa 
later. <laughs> I don't know. Asked Reddit's relationship advice for um for some help. It was a problem that she was having with her spouse. So the problem was her husband, who's 25, we're all doing some weird things during the quarantine right now. You know, uh-huh. we're all feeling a little weird and we all need to do some things to make ourselves feel happier, mm-hmm. which shouldn't be a problem except for the fact that her husband decided to set up his home office to look like an entire Taco Bell dining booth. Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) She said, I am just absolutely stunned and shocked that anyone, much less my husband, would think it's a good idea. Um, Apparently, he's always had a soft spot for Taco Bell, in quotes. Um, And it's a restaurant that she strongly dislikes. Uh, (laughs) But recently, he saw that um, a nearby Taco Bell was changing its decor. So he took this opportunity to go in and ask them if he could have all of their um, old, like, booths and stuff. So he... um, so she said that she came home and there was a bunch of 90s Taco Bell memorabilia in the garage. Uh, she said, and I guess he bribed the manager to let him grab a booth and some other things. But then she was even more upset when he turned the entire office to look like the fast food franchise. <laughs> I just, um, I'm just like imagining the smell. Yeah, she told him because I think in the 90s you could still smoke in there too. So it probably smells like smoky tacos, smoky ground beef, <laughs> smoky ground beef. And have you ever seen the way that they put on, sorry, the way they put on sour cream? It's like a gun, like a oh, yeah. cream shooter. Dude, <laughs> disgusting. I actually think that looks awesome. Like, I love sour cream. (laughs) She said, I told him my honest feelings. I thought it was ugly and tacky and glorified a less than mediocre fast food chain. It's a less than mediocre. (laughs) If this were Chick-fil-A. Yeah. Um, go for it. Yeah. <laughs> and she said, not to mention it goes against the entire motif of the rest of our living spaces. <laughs> and then everyone on Reddit told her that she was overreacting. And I feel like, yeah, I'm kind of on her side. Like, I'm sitting in my husband's office right now, and it's a fucking train wreck. It's the worst <laughs> room in our house. It's the only room I have no control over. It looks like a bomb exploded in here, and it drives me crazy every single day of my life. So, honestly, the Taco Bell booth would be a step up if it looked like a right. Taco Bell in here. But I understand her frustrations. But one person commented, if it were in your shared spaces and if it leaks out to the rest of the house, and I'd agree with you 100%, but this is his den, his man cave. Let him have this. It's such an innocent thing. This is absolutely not a battle to pick. And then another person wrote, it's in his office, right? Is this really a battle you want to fight? Think about it, friend. Marriage is for life. And you have all... marriages for life and you have a lot of life and battles ahead of you you should probably let this one go but I I don't know I don't know I'm kind of but you know what I think we're thinking is that we both live in small houses fairly small houses yes yes like I hesitate to say it because I'm like there are people who live in apartments in much smaller spaces than we do like 
I we do not have the luxury of having each having our own office. Like, so yeah. if I lived in a house where there were plenty of rooms and Ben could have his own office, then yeah, I would not give a shit. And you would not give a shit if Zach's office was crap if you had your own office. Right. Like, I have carved a little tiny, teeny tiny desk in our bedroom for my office, which the kids yes. come in behind me and turn on the television because it's the only place that you could get Disney Plus. And it's very annoying. But if this were like a giant, like, house with five, bedrooms and this was like a basement office yes then you'd be fine with it i would be fine with it yeah if it was like a separate space that nobody else had to see (laughs) yeah honestly like i'm thinking about it i feel like in it i would kind of think that it was funny but i think just because the the um husband's office is a trigger for me right (laughs) i'm like no this is bullshit it's your house too (laughs) kick him out um so why are you married at 25 yeah lives yeah (laughs) go tell him he has so many different taco bells to go visit get out of the house But yeah, so the the reason that Milani sent this to me is because we have kind of a funny Taco Bell story, which is why I should I should probably think that Taco Bell office is funny is because years ago when Zach and I were just living together, we weren't engaged or um, we were living in sin. Sinners! And um, (laughs) we just lived together in our first apartment and... I had a dinner party, and of course, we were drinking lots of wine, and then it turned into a dance party, and then I just like was like feeling great, and then I just told everybody, like, you guys, let's all go get tattoos, like right now, like, let's just go get tattoos, like, I'll fucking pay for it, I'll pay for everybody's tattoos, let's just go, and it was like, at the time, I think the only people left there was Zach's sister and her boyfriend at the time, and they were like, yeah, sure, sure, we'll, we'll meet you there, and they totally <laughs> took off, and then Zach and I went to one place, and they were, like, closing, so they were like, no, like, we can't fit you in, and so like, oh, fuck, okay, so then we leave, and then we go to this other place, and we see that they're open, and then Zach yeah. goes, well, what should I get, and then I looked down in his car, and I saw a Taco Bell cup and I was like, dude, get a Taco Bell bell. (laughs) (laughs) It was like, all right. So he took the cup with him inside and they like scanned the cup and everything. And they were looking at him like, you sure? And he was like, yeah, yeah. And then I'm sitting there as he's getting tattooed. I'm sitting there like looking at the wall of like, what do I want to get? What do I want to get? And I would look at, I see this like cherry blossom tree that like would go all down the length of my back and I was like that I want that (laughs) and and they're like all right we'll wait right here because we could only there was only one guy left that was like staying late for us and so I was like all right so I waited in like the waiting room couch while Zach got his 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 Taco Bell tattoo and I passed out on the couch and then when thank god when that Zach did this, but when he was finished, and I was like, "Okay, my turn, cherry blossom." <laughs> let's, let's do this. He was like, uh, "You know what? Like, they're about to close. I promise you. If you still want this tattoo tomorrow, I will bring you back here." He's like, "But um, let's just go home. It's really late. But if you still want it tomorrow, I'll bring you back." And I was like, "Fucking fine." And so. <laughs> 
we went home and went to sleep. And when we woke up, I swear to God, it was one of those things where we both looked at each other at the same time. And then I was like, oh, my God, you have a Taco Bell tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, uh, he still has it, obviously. But it's so funny because, like, it's, we really – like, Zach thought after the, he had this tattoo, like, I'm going to get a free Taco Bell for life. Like, all I have to do is show this tattoo. And they're going to be like, well, you are our guy. Like, have anything you want. But, like, anytime he goes to a Taco Bell, if he shows his tattoo, they're just like – what an idiot. Like, why would you ever do <laughs> Like, we make $5 an hour and we fucking hate this place. Why don't you work here if you love it so fucking bad? You want my job? So, yeah, that's the Taco Bell story. Oh, my God. So. That's so hilarious. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I could just totally picture... <laughs> Like you being like, what if you get this Taco Bell cup? And he's like, <laughs> hell yeah, man. <laughs> yeah. It's like after that, you kind of had to marry him because it's like, who's going to take him with that? <laughs> oh. some, lady, some other lady's going to be like, you fucking, what? that's bad judgment. Oh, yeah. I branded him with a fast food logo. The least I could do is marry him. <laughs> <laughs> the least I could do is marry him and bear his children. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We Hi. named Gordita and, <laughs> and Supreme Crunch Wrap. Crunch Wrap Supreme. <laughs> oh, uh, man. Yeah. That's, good. That's a great so, story. Thanks. <laughs> I gotta see this tattoo now. <laughs> I can't believe you've never seen it. It's on his ankle. Okay. I, 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 I haven't, I haven't uh, examined his ankles that closely, but I'll, I'm going to look now. <laughs> I'll post a picture of it on our Insta. Please do. Okay. Please do. Hey, Jen. Hey, Sally. Are you ready for a crazy story? Yes, I am. Oh, man. This one is twisty and turny and <gasps> nutso. I love a twisty, turny, nutso. Anything, really. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like a delicious candy bar. I'll take Sounds it. Sounds like a great water slide. Uh, <laughs> um, well, this one is a is a story. Okay, so this I got my information from Dateline. Okay, um, from a bunch of articles in the Omaha World Herald by Kevin Cole and other writers. Um, from an article on a website called Nonpareil Online, um, which I think is a sorry. Hold on, actually. Um, from the Daily Nonpareil, which is a <clears throat> newspaper in Iowa by Brian McCormick. So, okay. Okay. When Dave Krupa met Carrie Farver, he thought he had hit the jackpot. She was this cool, smart woman, and she wanted to date with no strings attached. And actually, on their that's very what they all say. <laughs> that's what they all say. And actually, on their very first date, they had gone to dinner. And in the Dateline episode, he says, I invited her back to my apartment. I'm like, okay. <laughs> that's, we know mm-hmm. what's happening. So so they were, went back to his apartment. And Dave's ex-girlfriend, Liz, showed up to get some things that she'd left there. And Carrie was totally cool about it. She just kind of laughed and was like, I get it. And then so she was like, I'm going to go home. Just call me when she's gone and you've sorted everything out. And then when they saw each other again, Carrie kind of surprised Dave by telling him, like, look, if we're going to sleep together, it's just sex, nothing more. 
And so he was like, fuck, yeah, you know, this is exactly mm-hmm. what I want. Because she had a career she, as a computer programmer. She was 37. She was a single mom, actually, to a teenage son. And she just wasn't interested in something serious. And and Dave also, he had his own business. He had an ex-wife and a couple of kids of his own. He was on board. And so for a couple of weeks, everything was really great. Dave really liked spending time with Carrie. He, he thought she was fun and smart. And he was happy when Carrie asked if she could stay at his apartment for a few days so that she could be in town for something at work. Because Dave lived in Omaha and Carrie actually lived in a small town about an hour away. So it made sense for her to stay with him for a few days while she was working in Omaha. Mm -hmm. On the first morning she was there in November of 2012, they joked with each other as Dave left for work. Carrie kind of called out to him like, have a great day at work, honey. Like they were this couple, even though they only know each other a couple weeks. So he left for work and then everything went nuts. So later that day, he gets this text message from Carrie asking him to move in with her. And it was totally out of the blue. And Dave is like, I've only known you for a couple weeks. Like, no, it's not going to happen. And Carrie responded, like, just went kind of crazy. She's like, don't ever contact me again. I'm seeing someone else anyway. I hate you. Just you're out of my life. And so he was at work and he just kind of thought, okay, well, this was weird, but at least I wasn't in deep with this woman. Dave wasn't the only one who started getting weird text messages from Carrie. So Her mom, Nancy, who she was very close with, who lived in the same small town, who often took care of Carrie's teenage son, Max, got a text message from Carrie saying, I've quit my job. I'm moving to Kansas to live. And her family knew that Carrie did have a job interview in Kansas City and had planned to go there after her work trip in Omaha. But they were like, this is this is crazy. Like she's this is not like Carrie. But Carrie texted her son, Max, to say, I'll be home next week in time for this family wedding. I got the job in Kansas and let's talk about it this weekend. But then Carrie never showed up for the wedding. And so Nancy and Max were worried because Nancy was like even more worried because she'd received another text from Carrie saying she had broken up with her boyfriend. And Nancy was like, I didn't even know she had a boyfriend and that she was thinking about checking into a mental hospital. And the thing is, is that Carrie did have a history of mental illness. She had been diagnosed years earlier with bipolar disorder, but she had been controlling it with medication for years. Mm -hmm. So Nancy reported Carrie missing, but the police basically told her, well, if she says she's gone on her free will, because that's what she's texting, like saying, like, I left, I quit my job. Even if she's off her meds, she's an adult. She doesn't seem to be a danger to herself or others. She can basically do what she wants. And Carrie had actually texted her job and quit and said, I'm not coming back. And so Nancy called Carrie over and over, but she wouldn't pick up. But she would respond to text. And soon when Nancy demanded answers, she started getting, Nancy started getting nasty texts from Carrie saying, you were a bad mother. I'm going to come and take Max from from her grandparents. And Nancy got scared. She actually ended up applying for temporary guardianship of Max. And so she's worried. She's like, you know, maybe she had like a mental break. And the police were looking for Carrie. They actually tracked down Dave. And when they found him, they questioned him saying like, when was the last time you saw her? Where was she? And he was like, I barely know her. This is the last time I saw her was then this morning. And then he showed them his phone, which by now was full of messages from Carrie. There were 
dozens of texts harassing him and blaming, actually blaming Dave's ex, Liz, the one who had come to pick up her her stuff the night of their first date, saying that Liz was to blame for their breakup. And just like, I mean, it was just like, they would go from, I want to see you again to like, fuck you, I never want to see you again. And they were very focused on Liz. And then Liz started getting harassed too. She went into her garage one day to find it spray painted with the words whore from Dave. And so both she and Dave filed harassment charges against Carrie. And Carrie actually even started texting with the police detective, telling the detective to leave Dave out of it, that it was Liz who she wanted out of the picture. And police were like her mom suspected that Carrie had a mental breakdown and that this was that's what wow. happened, but they did could never make contact with her. So Carrie's mother continued to get periodic messages from her, and Carrie continued to post to social media, but she wasn't responding to calls, and she told everyone that she didn't want to be found. And about a month after she disappeared, her father died, and Carrie didn't show up for the funeral. Aww. I know. And so Dave, meanwhile, is getting 50 to 60 texts and emails from Carrie a day. He said at one point it just like rendered his phone useless because it was just constantly dinging. And so he changed his phone number and email, but somehow she would find the new email and phone number and the text kept coming. And they would kept saying things like, sorry, I messed things up. And then Liz is a whore. And sometimes he would get these messages saying, I see you. And she would know what he was doing. <coughs> oh, my and God. So, yeah. So it would be like, you're you're drinking coffee. I see you through your window. And he would run outside because he was drinking coffee. And so then That's Liz was getting messages. Scary. I know. It's so scary. Liz is getting messages too. At one point, she gets a photo showing that Carrie had been in her garage. It was like a photo of her car. And then a few months after Carrie's disappearance, Carrie's car was found at an apartment complex close to where Dave lived. And the police searched the vehicle, but they only found one fingerprint in it and they didn't have a match to it. And so they impounded the car. And the messages continued. Police did a dump on both Dave and Liz's phones. They found that Carrie had made a fake obituary for Liz. She had texted Dave, like, go see what I made for the whore. I'm going to kill her. Oh, my and at God. One, I know. At one point, Dave's window had been broken, and Carrie texted saying she'd done it. Police got, at that point, police got an arrest warrant for Carrie, but they still couldn't find her. And they figured she's a computer expert, right? So they thought she must be, she's disguising her messages so that they can't be traced. And the crazy part of all of this is that she's so focused on Liz, but Dave and Liz weren't even together. They'd broken up before Carrie had even come along. But Dave felt responsible and he felt awful that Liz was now, I mean, she had two young kids. She was now afraid for her life because of something he, like, because of this woman that he had dated for only a few weeks. Wow. And it and it seems she had, like, good reason to be afraid because Liz was in the process of moving in August um, 2013. So this is 10 months after Carrie had vanished. And she went back to her old house to pick up a few things and she found that her house was on fire. And yeah, and luckily she and her two kids were already out, but she had several pets who were in the house that did not make it. Oh no. I know. That's and then awful. S- soon after the fire, an email came from Carrie 
saying that it was her who set Liz's house on fire. So this whole time, I know, this whole time Carrie's family is just at a loss because Carrie would post things on Facebook like, I'm not missing. I just need time to sort things out. And then she would occasionally like ask her mom how Max was. And her mom would be like, I'm not telling you over. This is not talking. You have to call me. Her mom would call and leave messages and beg her to come home or call. And this continued over two years. Wow. I know. And the harassment took its toll. Dave started drinking heavily. He even bought a gun after Carrie threatened his children's lives in a message. And David and Liz were like, they started keeping watch together, like when some of the craziest messages would come through. And like, oddly enough, they weren't together when it started, but Carrie's kind of vitriol towards Liz started bringing them together. And the two rekindled their romance and started this on again, off again relationship. So Dave actually moved to Council Bluffs, Iowa, which is across the state line from Omaha to be closer to his kids and to get away from Carrie, kind of hoping that it would stop the messages. Maybe she wouldn't be able to find him this time. And after about three years, the harassment had mostly died down. Like they would still get messages every once in a while, but it was nothing like it had been before. And Liz and Dave, as like the messages kind of stopped, they would see each other occasionally, but not as much as they had. Was It was more of like a relationship built out of this like shared fear. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So in April 2015, so this is, everything had started in November of 2012. So this is almost three years later. Two police detectives, Ryan Avis and Jim Doty, decided to take another look at Carrie's case because this case was kind of like a legend around the department. Like Dave and Liz had become fixtures with all of the harassment charges. You know, the police were like, anytime something happens, come to us and we'll make a note so that if we find her or if something happens, we can build a case against Carrie. And then there was Carrie's mom who was asking police, like, please find my daughter. There is something obviously very wrong. So they started going through all the all the evidence, looking at the more than 11,000 emails that Dave had provided them from Carrie over the years. Wow. And they looked at this phone dump of Liz's phone. They were listened to all of the interviews from Liz and Dave over the years, making police reports. They decided to give the case like a fresh look and they're going to look at it two ways. One of them would look at it, the evidence that Carrie was stalking Dave and Liz and where was she? And the other one was that something had happened to Carrie and someone else was behind the whole thing. Wow. So then one day in December of 2015, um, just randomly detective Avis ran into Liz in the hallway of the police department and she was there to file another harassment complaint. But to his surprise, the complaint was not against Carrie. It was against Dave's ex-wife, Amy Flora, who was the mother of his children. And so Liz said that ever since she and Dave had stopped seeing each other recently, that Amy had been stalking her on Facebook. And she told the detectives that she was – Interesting. Yeah. So she told detectives that she was starting to worry that the harassment – may have been Amy the whole time. And she said the scariest thing was that one of Dave's guns was now missing and Liz thought that Amy might have it because she was the only one who had access to Dave's home. So Detective Avis took her statement, but he wasn't buying her story because over the past seven months that he and Detective Cody had been working the case, they had come to believe that it was actually Liz who was behind the whole fucking Dude, I had this 
feeling. Yeah. <laughs> um, Liz. Fucking Liz. As they have been going through the evidence, they found a photo on Liz's phone of Carrie's car from December of 2012. And that was after she had gone missing, but before the car was found. And they also found some threatening photos that Carrie had supposedly taken and sent to Dave, but they were on Liz's phone. So they brought in this computer expert and he started connecting IP addresses and found that they could prove that some of these messages sent supposedly from Carrie were actually sent from Liz's house. Oh my God. And then the fingerprint in Carrie's car that they hadn't been able to match, they matched it to Liz. There you go. Oh, my God. So they started realize that everything came back to Liz. And if Liz had been impersonating Carrie this whole time, then where was Carrie? And detectives were starting to think that Liz had killed her. So, okay. So the night that Liz made her report, she actually went to this park and she called police saying she had been shot. And when police arrived at the scene, they found Liz with a bullet hole in her leg, and she was claiming that it was Amy Flora, Dave's ex-wife, who had shot her. And so Detective Avis and Detective Doty took her statement, but they actually believed that Liz had shot herself. But they played along, telling her in order to get build a case against Amy, they would need more evidence. So they told her, they said, oh, you know, we now believe it was Amy. You were right. It was Amy behind everything. It's possible that wow. Amy killed Carrie. Um, but police told Liz, well, you know, we can't do anything about it unless we have more evidence. So soon after she met with detectives, wouldn't you know it, evidence started coming in and Liz began forwarding messages supposedly from accounts with Amy's name on them to investigators. And the messages painted a picture of how Amy had supposedly stabbed Carrie in the stomach and chest in her car and then had burned the body and then disposed of it. So it's like she's saying that Amy is just emailing this information. Like, yeah, this that is Amy what is I just, did. Yes. Because oh they, they're God. like, well, we need evidence about how maybe she killed Carrie. And she was like, oh, well, like, you know what? I have this evidence. Be right back. Like on her computer. Yes. Oh, my God. And it was, you know, it's the confession they have been waiting for, except, of course, they knew it wasn't actually coming from Amy. It was from Liz and that everything, the stalking, the arson, the stolen gun, the shooting, and most tragic of all, the murder of Carrie Jeez. was all Liz. And they said, the detective, one of the detectives said it was huge because she was saying saying stuff in these emails that only the killer would know. But it was a hard case to make because all of this evidence was digital and the fact that there was no body. They had never found Carrie. They had never found her body. And so it wasn't actually until December of 2016 when they felt like they had a a solid enough case that Liz was arrested and charged with Carrie's murder. Wow. But then as they were prosecutors were preparing for trial, they got a huge break. It was just like a stroke of luck. Dave was being questioned by investigators about what he remembered. And he was like, you know what? Actually, I just remember a tablet of mine that Liz used while we were dating. And on that tablet, investigators found thousands of pictures, pictures that Liz thought she had deleted on this memory card that Liz had left in Dave's tablet. And it was a memory card from one of Liz's old phones and the pictures she took, they were able to recover. And among them were photos of what appeared to be 
decomposing body parts. Oh my God. Why would she take pictures? I have no idea. I mean, but they identified the remains of Carrie's pictures through a tattoo. And so she had a tattoo that was a Chinese symbol for mother that she had gotten after Max was born on her foot. Mm -hmm. And so they identified it as Carrie's foot. And they also reexamined the car again and found under the seat cover, like under the, they found a huge amount of blood and it actually matched that blood to Carrie. So they believed that Liz had killed her in the car. And so Liz was convicted in August of 2017 of first degree murder and second degree arson for the fire she set in her own home. Wow. She received a sentence of life in prison without the possibility of parole for Carrie's homicide, plus 18 to 20 years for the arson charge. She actually appealed her conviction all the way up to the Supreme Court, but all of her appeals have been rejected, and she is currently serving her sentence. And Nancy and Max, her mother and son, were relieved by the verdict, but they're still heartbroken that they don't know where Carrie is buried and that they couldn't give her a proper burial. God, and actually, like Anne, bitch, like it's I know. just like Liz at this point, just tell them where the body is. Wow, I mean, she is she is denied it, denied oh that she doesn't God. deny that she sent the messages, but she does she denies that she did anything to Carrie for all of those years that she basically let Nancy and Max believe that Carrie had just run off and, and just left her son and like left her them. son felt like his mom left him. They knew about all of the harassment. So they thought, oh, this woman we love, my mom, my daughter is doing all these horrible things to people mm, when it was really Liz the whole time. God, that is heartbreaking. And it's if heartbreaking. I, if I were Dave, after all of that, I would just be single for the rest of my life. Because, like, what a roller coaster of emotions for him. Like, he has an ex-wife, he has an ex, and then he has this woman he dated for three weeks. And then for years, he thought that this woman went nuts on him. Yeah, and and it brought him – and he was, like, then dating the woman who was actually stalking him. Yeah. And then at one point, he thought that his ex-wife was going after the woman that he was dating. It's just, like – too much. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's crazy. So there's even so many more details that I couldn't include. Like, there, it could be, like, a five-hour podcast on this. Oh, wow. Um, but Leslie Rule, who's Anne Rule's daughter, wrote yeah. a book about this case called A Tangled Web. So if you're interested Ooh. in learning more, I suggest that. That's so crazy because in my head I was thinking, like, oh, what a tangled web we <laughs> <laughs> Wow. I'm definitely going to check that book out. Yeah. Um, Awesome. That's my story. Dude, Sally, are you ready for a love story? I am ready for a love story. Good. This is a story that has been hitting the news. I got my sources from an article for CNN written by Alicia Lee, a really great interview Anderson Cooper on CNN. He's so handsome. He's so handsome, that Anderson Cooper. Love that Anderson Cooper. And then also a uh, story for NPR, Story Course by uh, Jay Bourne and Emma Bowman. Love it. Um, Yes. Um, I love Story Corps. 
Me too. Me too. So just like many of us, uh, 90-year-old Kenneth Feltz, who grew up in Kansas and now lives in Arvada, Colorado, has been stuck at home during the quarantine, just trying to find ways to use his time. When he decided to write a memoir chronicling the past 90 years of his life. But as Kenneth wrote, he quickly became he quickly came to realize that his story would never be complete without revealing a secret that he had kept hidden his whole life. Yeah. That he had one true love in his life that no one ever knew about. Nobody in his family ever knew. And this true love was a man named Philip Jones. Oh. Yes. So Kenneth had known that he was gay since he was 12 years old. He had a sleepover with a classmate and friend and some romantic things happened. And he said that it was such an amazing feeling like he never felt before just having this closeness with this other boy. And he knew that's when he knew that he was gay. But um, because he grew up in a devout Christian family, he was always taught that being gay was a sin, and he forced himself to push away these feelings. He told CNN, I just knew that if I were to come out as gay, I would probably go to hell and that I would have to go to the grave with my secret. Mm. I know. It's so awful. So he made this choice to hide his sexuality because especially in the 1950s, not only was homosexuality frowned upon, but it was also illegal. Right. And so it was just a very hard time to be out. He was in Korea with the U.S. Navy and he fought in the Korean War. And then he went to college afterwards. Throughout all this time, he lived as a straight man. And then in the late 1950s, he moved to Long Beach, California, and he went to work at a retail credit company. And that's where he met Philip Jones. Ken was new, and Philip had offered to help him learn how to fill out some forms that they needed to fill up for for work. And he Mm -hmm. said that there was just an instant connection. He said, nothing was ever said, but we just knew that we were going to be together. They just knew. He said, when I met Philip, to me, he was the perfect person. And he said, of course, I guess that's what everyone thinks of their first love. We just kind of blended into each other. And yeah, yeah. and so their romance developed quickly. And they would go out for coffee, weekend, weekend excursions, driving around California. And after a while, Kenneth felt like he was spending more time at Philip's apartment than his own. So he just ended up moving in. So they lived together in 1957 and 1958. They lived this supremely happy, although it's secret life together as a gay couple. Um, But um, he, like I said, at that time, homosexuality was illegal in California. He said it was a felony. We couldn't hold hands or anything like that. You would be arrested on exhibition of such behavior. Once you go to court, so if they got arrested, once they went to court, then all of their information spread around town and you would lose all of your family and friends. So they wouldn't hold hands in public because there were always undercover police around that at the time there were people, undercover police, that that what they were looking for was to find people exhibiting gay behavior just so that they could arrest them. And so they, they couldn't hold hands in public. They would not sit too close together. As he said, they had to stay apart and able to be together. Just so sad. It's so um, sad. I know. And then um, one Sunday morning when they were sitting in church, Ken was in the pews while Philip was singing in the choir. And Ken looked around the church and just thought to himself, 
everything about this place condemns what we are and what we are doing. And he just felt like he needed to make a choice to which now he would say was the wrong choice. Mm -hmm. But at the time he decided that being gay in a society that was considered a crime and a sin was just too much for him. And he decided to break it off with Philip. So he quit his job and he packed up all of his stuff and he went back home and he said that Philip wrote him two or three letters after that. And in the last letter, Philip said, if you don't respond to this letter, I won't bother you anymore. Ken said he didn't respond to any of the letters and he now calls it a huge mistake. Yeah. So after Ken left Philip, he once again decided to live as a straight man and hide his sexuality. He actually said that he created an alter ego for himself called Larry to, yeah. um, he, so he created an alter ego named Larry to have a more uh, defined separation between the two lives. He felt yeah. like Larry was his gay side and Ken was the quote unquote normal straight person is what he mm-hmm. said. He would play the part of Ken, the straight guy, for the next several decades of his life. So keeping Larry hidden, Ken met a woman at his church's youth group in 1962. They got married, and they had a daughter named Rebecca in 1972. The relationship ended in 1980. They divorced, but even when they divorced, he still wouldn't come out because he was scared that he would lose custody of his daughter. Yeah. But after the divorce, he did like discreetly go to the library and look through telephone books to try to find one name, Philip Jones. He said, I called every Philip J in there and was never able to locate him. I will die always regretting that having left Philip, but hopefully he forgave me. So in 1995, his daughter, Rebecca, who was now out of college at this point, told her father that she needed to talk to him about something very important. So he came down to Colorado Springs to meet with her at a restaurant, and that's where she told her father that she was gay and that she was in love with a woman. You would think that he would be accepting of his daughter coming out, but he was still living as a straight man. Yeah. Um, And so he told her that what she was doing was wrong and that she couldn't be gay and that her and her girlfriend couldn't be together. He said, though, that part of him, his gay side, Larry, wanted to tell her that it's okay. He wanted to, but he was still so afraid of what society might do or say, not only to him, but to his daughter that he loved so much. Well, that's that like self-hating, just internalized homophobia where he has worked so hard to convince himself that he is a different person that he can't if he can't accept himself then he there's no you know can't accept his daughter for the same reasons yeah that's really that's so sad i know so rebecca his daughter said he told me the relationship wouldn't last but now she says that um her father came around he did come around And became her and her now wife, so she is married um, to her. He became her and her now wife's biggest supporter. She said, I think he had the same fears for me that he had himself about what tough life it could be. Everything from not being able to have children to societal issues. And which Rebecca and her wife now have two children. Oh, I know. And so he did end up supporting her. And he even joined LGBTQ uh, organizations to support her. He would march in pride parades. He would lead meetings. But he did it all 
as a straight man. He still wouldn't let himself be free. And so growing up, his daughter, who's now 48, said that she knew that her father had some regrets in life, but she said that she always thought that that they were related to her mother. But she finally learned this May during the pandemic what the real source of her father's pain was. She said, we were on the phone and he told me that he missed out on the one true love of his life. This is what she told CNN, but he didn't say male or female. But then he ended up saying to her, I wish I never left Philip. And Aww. so then he he finally revealed to his daughter in an email that his one true love was indeed Philip Jones, a man. And she said that she was surprised to hear that her father was gay, considering, considering the fact that he reacted so poorly to her coming out as lesbian 25 years earlier. But after coming out to his daughter and then revealed his truth to the rest of the world in a Facebook post where he, he shared the story of him and Philip and on Facebook and came out and he was met with overwhelming love and support. Yeah. Um, Everybody was so happy for him. A 90 year old man finally telling his truth and being free and coming out. And a woman saw in New Jersey saw his post, a woman named Tina Woods, who her job is she helps find the bi- biological parents of adopted children. Mm-hmm. Um, so she reached out to him and was like, look, I do this for a living. Like, can you, would you let me help you find him? So he said, yes, of course. But unfortunately, Philip had passed away in 2013. Right. Yeah. So he Aww. passed away. But she was able to connect Ken and Philip's niece. Uh-huh. Um, so, and his niece then sent Ken all of these pictures of Philip just uh, throughout the years and all different Aww. stages of his life. And it was such a gift to him because yeah. he, he didn't have any mementos of Philip because when he left him, he thought he needed to destroy all evidence of his gay relationship. Right. So, he was making a choice to like kill that part of him. Yeah, so he got rid of everything except for one single photo. When he found out that Philip had passed away, he posted that one photo online and he wrote this along with it. He said, one of the loving and wonderful people who has been reading my messages on my coming out and search for Philip undertook to locate him for me. She spent many hours and finally had a report for me. I have summarized that report below. Philip Allen Jones was the love of my life. I have a very sad and lonely heart today. My first and greatest love has passed away. He lived a full and happy life, as I am told by his niece. His partner of many years passed just a few years ago, and Philip remained alone for the rest of his life. I feel I shared with him the best years of his youth, and he certainly made mine memorable, and I will always remember and appreciate that. I love him in my heart so much over the years, and now he is gone. It is so terribly frustrating to be so close and yet not reach my lost love and horribly painful to not be able to say goodbye. But the whole world now knows what a loving man he was with me and to me while we were together. My heart has turned to stone and I need my tears to wash away my sorrow. Rest in peace, Philip. Oh, uh, I know it's so sad. He said, I loved him till the end and I'm doing all of this for him. So now Ken, I know that that was really sad to read. It's so heartbreaking to read. But now as a proud gay man, Ken has totally 
let Larry, his case I take over, he said. <laughs> yeah. He said when he was living as a straight man, he would wear very conservative clothing and wouldn't, he wouldn't let himself watch gay movies or read gay literature because he was scared of being outed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he now can enjoy all of those things. He and is catching up on everything that he's missed. He has pink and blue streaks in his hair. He wears, <laughs> <laughs> he wears the rainbow pride flag and he even participated in this year's Denver Pride Virtual 5K on his walker. Isn't that Aww. so sweet? <laughs> I know. He's so sweet. But most importantly, Rebecca says that her father is more outgoing and confident than ever. He said, I don't see how I could not be happy for the rest of my life. It might have taken him 90 years to come out as gay, but he said that he hopes the story will give others the courage to embrace their sexuality as well. He said that he now gets so much joy just out of watching people live their lives and be who they are and with who they love. He says, there's a whole world out there that will accept you and love you for who you are. And that's, that's beautiful. Isn't it's beautiful, beautiful and heartbreaking and and it's just she's never too late. It's never too late it's, to to be who you are and that's just it's really that's really sweet. I know. I love it, dude. Good story. Yeah. All right, should we do something dumb and something we love? Let's do it. Okay. So I my something dumb is that I'm an idiot. Yes, and you are. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. Um, do you remember last week when you were like, what's your something you love? And I was like, duh, I don't know. I can't think of anything. Yeah. But there was something I loved. I actually had it <laughs> written down. But then in the moment, I was just like, so like, I don't know. What are we talking about? And But the thing that I meant to say that I loved is that one of my very best friends, Best Bud Extraordinaire, which is like the group of guys that I used to tour with, Mike Cronin, who's a, mm-hmm. if you guys came to our second um, Dumb Love show. He was on that. He's so funny. Very funny funny. comedian. So funny. He got engaged. That is so awesome. Yes. To uh, his beautiful now fiance, Lindsay, who is I is one of those people like you I met and I was like instantly we I was like, oh well now we're friends. Like you're yeah. see you later, Mike. She's great. They're great. And I actually got to help him pick out the ring. And <gasps> it's That's like so cool. I know. And I'm gonna be in their wedding. And it's like it just makes me so my heart so full and so happy for them. Um, and for him, because he's such an amazing guy and they are just really great together. So that is the thing that I love. And the thing that's dumb Dude. is that I completely just like, I don't know, did something good happen this week? <laughs> and it well, had. He also has a great new podcast. It's called Mr. Cheeks. And it's with another friend of ours um, named Ran, who's another funny comedian from Cincinnati. And it's 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 really, it's just silly. And it, it's like a sketch podcast. And it's really great. So I cool. recommend that. That's so there awesome. Congratulations, Mike and Lindsay. Yes, congratulations. Love it. So for my something dumb, I think this has been a stressful week for for a lot of people. Yeah. A lot. It's just been super stressful. We we pod with like um two of my very close good friends mm-hmm. and we have children of the same age. They've grown up together and so we have been kind of switching back and forth childcare and so I see them all the time. But the other day my friend's husband, Adam, who's also my friend too, he came right. over to pick up his daughter from my house and I was like, How is work? And he was like, just shitty. 
And then I was like, you know, <laughs> yeah. when I saw Kristen earlier, like she's not having a good week. I'm not having a good week. My, her husband's not having a good week. We're all just like, well, and I think yeah. that it's because school's back, but it's not. And right. summer's over, but it's not. And there was not really a like, summer. Yeah. Now we're just like, my kids go back on Monday and this mm-hmm. week has been stressful trying to work and also do all of their back to school Zoom meetings, get all of their stuff ready. And then next week, I'm like terrified of it because I'm like, how do I work next to them while I'm homeschooling? Yeah. Like, how how is this going to work? How do we do it? But it's it's the safer alternative. I'm glad they're not going back to school because it seems kind of dangerous right now. I know some people are, but every school is different. But I, I don't know. It's just, oy, oy, oy. Like every, I think everybody's just feeling super overwhelmed. So yeah, yeah, it's too. it's yeah. I was saying that before we started recording, I was saying the same that I just it's like this week, I just fell into like a total. Like I was saying to Ben, I was like, I feel this like sense of ennui, <laughs> and then he was like, Is that what you think it means? I was like, I don't know. I gotta look it up, and it was. <laughs> it's like listlessness and hopelessness. It's just like a yeah. feel, a vague feeling of like, oh fuck, this is never ending. It's never ending. It's like we none of us thought we would be here. Maybe I know there are people who who are smarter than me who knew we would be here the way things were going. I just I just didn't yeah. think. I just didn't believe it. And so, yeah, my kid our kids are going to be going going to the same school, I say in air quotes. Yeah. Now <laughs> that virtually they're in virtually, the same school. <laughs> virtually they're at the same school. So, yeah, we've had we had a teacher orientation that I mean, Max said farts like five times and (laughs) I was just like stop it stop it (laughs) (laughs) yeah but I'm just like man it is gonna be it's gonna be a lot it's gonna be a lot I don't know how to do it all but we're gonna figure it out yeah but I guess the something I love is that I am for the first time since literally the day before the quarantine I will be doing live stand-up comedy. Yeah. That's exciting. Like, don't freak out. It's I'm not freaking out, out. It's an outdoor show. And yeah. it's social distance. And it's at Arches Brewing on Friday, August 21st at 8 p.m. If you live in Atlanta, there's limited tickets because they're spacing everybody out. And they're being super careful with like even parking and everything just so yeah. that people are not close to each other. So it's a bring your own chair type situation. But I'm excited to get back into it because it's been a while and I think I just need some like a release like that and just yeah. a, little gl- a little glimmer of getting back to my old self. I, guess. I know. I'm so. actually I, – I came to that same conclusion this week and I'm going to do that show – the next one. So I we won't be Hell on the same yeah. show, but I'm going to be on the one in September. So Oh, nice. Uh, nice. Yeah. Well, there you have uh, it, guys. Go see Jen at Arches Brewery. We'll post a, post a link and to that show. I think it'll be a super fun Sally show. And then go see Sally the following month. Yeah, and then come see me. And, you know, if you're not in the Atlanta area, you can always join us on Patreon. We're putting out a new quickie episode this week. And you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at Dumb Love Podcast, or you can email us at dumblovepod at gmail.com. Do all those things. Do it. And, and then rate um, and review us. Get out there safely and use your best judgment and do something dumb for love. Dum, da, dum, 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 da, dum, da, dum, da, dum, 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 d